7 a.m. on the West Coast, 10 a.m. on the East Coast of America, 3 p.m. in London, it's 7.30 in Mumbai, India, Kyoto, Japan, 11 o'clock in the evening, and in Malaysia, it's 19.43. I'm Jay Sheldon, and I'm not wearing pants. <laughs> Welcome, 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 everybody. Hello to our viewers on Facebook Live, YouTube. Please subscribe. It's uh, it's down here in the corner. Hit the button, hit subscribe. And twitch.tv, you can also subscribe to us over there, twitch.tv. And, uh, of course, on Rumble. We are live on Rumble again tonight. We made it. <laughs> so hello to our uh, our Rumble viewers and Thank you for checking us out. Please hit that subscribe button somewhere on the page. Also, to our podcast listeners, this show's audio portion is a podcast. goes up across all the different podcast platforms, Spotify, Amazon, iTunes, Google Podcasts, wherever. <clears throat> you can check it out. To those of you who do, thank you for the downloads and the subscriptions over there. that are going very well. Appreciate that. And, uh, yeah, that's about all the business I got to uh, take care of today. Oh, oh, one thing, if you want to help support the show, just got to give a plug in here. Patreon.com slash Jay Sheldon is the place to uh, help us out. If you'd like to, uh, if you'd like to check us out there, Patreon.com slash Jay Sheldon. And we truly appreciate all those of you who have done that. All right. Oh, you want to check out our Miko merchandise, by the way? That's uh, that's our little girl Miko and our show logo on the other side. You can go to twitch.com. Just fish around the page. I think it's in the about section or something. You'll see a link to Miko merch. And we got all kinds of cool stuff over there. There. Speaking of Miko, it's time. Miko update. <laughs> Miko update. There she is. Hey, Serena Lee. Hello. What do you say? Hey, hey, what do you say? Great to see you tonight, Serena. In fact, I think I am. As a matter of fact, my main topic tonight, the very first thing we're going to cover once we get into it is from you. So thank you for that, Serena. Um, anyway, it's Miko update time. So here is our precious little girl. I finally decided, yes, that is my naked knee in the shower. And this is what Miko looks like when she gets a shower once a week. She's not all that happy about it, but she puts up with it. So you can see that kind of glance of terror out of the corner of her eye. Um, yeah, we. the only way to shower her is I just strip off. Not only am I not wearing pants, but I'm not wearing anything when I shower her. And uh, yeah, we just, uh, we jump in, we get wet, and we <laughs> we have a good time. Luna Amethyst, welcome. Have not seen you in a while. Welcome to the stream, Luna. And uh, great to see you. Uh, yeah, so there's a few more pictures here. This is her getting dried off, uh, of which she also barely puts up with. And it's funny, too, because when, when she's almost dry and she's really had enough of this blow dryer uh, blowing her in the face, she will put up her paw and knock it, knock it down, saying, like, okay, Dad, 
that's enough. No more of that. So, uh, yeah, she she's not entirely happy about the whole washing or drying process. But at the end of the day, she's a happy Sheba. So <laughs> that's her all clean and bright and new and fresh. And that's our uh, latest Miko update for you there. She's doing very well. Had a nice walk and another great. We, we went to the dog park two days in a row. We went uh, yesterday also. So, yeah, this is Monday, huh? Oh, man. Oh, it's Monday already. Amethyst, uh, Luna. Luna says, uh, stuff for my cosplay have been ordered. Oh, you're doing Cliff. Yes, you finally decided. Cool. Thank you for that. Um, for those of you who don't know, there is a very cool game out there called No Straight Roads. NSR in the vernacular, and uh, I do the voice of the character called Cliff. So check out No Straight Roads, it's a lot of fun. But uh, you've been up since seven? Wow. Okay, I don't know, what time is it there? It's morning there, if I'm not mistaken. So, all right, I've been up since about six o'clock this morning, and it's almost like, what, 10, just after 10 at night here. So, wow. Uh, good morning from Ellenwood, Kansas. Donald Tanner, hey, welcome. Welcome back, Don. Thanks, Donald. Great to uh, to see you. And holy crap, it's Stephen Bones. Stephen, wow. The remarkable, incredibly talented Stephen Bones has popped into the stream. And uh, it is great to see you. Thank you, Stephen. Uh, for stopping by and uh, by the way I loved that new song you did and right now I'm an old man and I can't remember what the name was but check out Stephen Bones channel please on YouTube on Facebook and on Twitch uh, twitch.tv Stephen Bones everything but he's got some great great content over there so uh, yeah by all means please just give him a like and a subscribe and uh, not that he needs my help he's got like 15 billion subscriptions over there but, and I've got like four, but anyway, we keep going. <laughs> Thank you, Stephen. Appreciate that very much. All right, so that was our, uh, that was our Miko update for, uh, <laughs> for the day. Oh, man. And Luna is doing uh, Cliff, so that's cool. Man, why did I suddenly get so bright? I told you to turn the brightness down. There we go. That's a little bit better. We don't need to see, mm, we don't need to see all the wrinkles. One or two is fine. Yeah, thank you, Stephen. Miko is adorable. We love her to death. Um, soap suds and all. So, <laughs> oh man. All right, we got a lot coming up tonight on the show, including the strain, strange foresight of the movie V for Vendetta. Uh, there's been a little tinfoil hat thing going around. And I saw this today. In fact, uh, Serena shared this today. And I thought, hmm, that's something interesting to talk about. Not going to spend a lot of time on it. But it's one of those things that make you go, hmm, interesting. And we're even going to fact check it. And you know what fact check buffalo sandwich. Uh, Donald, do you remember when I would call Swap Shop and secretly connect you with another number? I kind of, I certainly remember you're calling the swap shop and offering, if I'm if not mistaken, it was comic books for sale. Uh, the secretly connecting you, I don't really remember that, but yeah. Um, 
Uh, Luna does not know what she's going to do for the hair for her cosplay. Um, a wig? Maybe a mop? <laughs> String mop? I don't know. Be inventive. Use your imagination. I'm sure you'll come up with something. Actually, I think that wig that Steven wears on his stream sometime with the headband, that might almost work if it were a different color for Cliff hair. Yeah. All right. So the amazing insight of the 2005 film V for Vendetta. An interesting post which popped up today. And uh, Serena, thank you for sharing that. Um, it's a did you know kind of thing. And bear with me, I know, but just hear me out, okay? I'll do me, you do you. It's a, it's the two, I'm sure you've heard of this film. You have to have heard of the film. 2005 film called V for Vendetta. Um, it's about a totalitarian dictatorship that gains its power by creating a society of fear due to an alleged virus spreading throughout the world. In the film, the media pushes fear-based propaganda on the television screen of every household and on city streets. The authoritarian dictator promises security, but not freedom. The constant theme of this is for your safety is repeated throughout the film. Most importantly, the film ends with society waking up and the corrupt fascist regime is dismantled. And in what year is the film set? 2020. This film was from 2005 and set in 2020. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, so I thought, you know, I've seen V for Vendetta. And honestly, in my memory, I didn't remember a virus being that big a part of the film. So I thought, all right, look, fact, -checker, fact checkers are just crap. They're basically opinion checkers. They don't really fact check. And most of the fact checking sites have been pretty much debunked as crap. So I, I put in that into a search. I don't use Google, I use DuckDuckGo. But I, I, I put in a search for the phrase, uh, V for Vendetta about a virus. And this fact-checking site called Truth or Fiction cannot account for them, do not know. The link will be in the show notes, by the way, so you can read the whole thing yourself. But basically, it asks the question, is the 2005 film V for Vendetta about a virus and set in 2020. Um, premise was the use of virus to control populations. Its rating is decontextualized. Okay, not too confusing there, is it? Um, in June of 2020, the Facebook page Cosmic Enlightenment shared a meme, which is like the one that I just showed you, and um, alongside a still image of a character, and uh, the claim about V for Vendetta's premise and setting in the year 2020 strongly resembled another earlier uh, prediction, virus prediction rumor, that the film Akira was also uh, precinct about the year 2020. 
Um, the film was released in December 2005, was not released into the U.S. until March of 2006. And um, in a 2006 review by Roger Ebert, he does mention the year 2020 um, in, at the start. In the year 2020, a virus runs wild in the world. Most Americans are dead and Britain is ruled by a fascist dictator who promises security, but not freedom. So it goes on to say, you know, what year was V for Vendetta set in. It actually does not really debunk the claim. It does mention that it, that the, the virus element wasn't really emphasized that much in the film, and that is my memory. But it was a part, no doubt, 100% was a part of the film. So interesting that this fact check site which, again, like I said, normally fact-check sites are just crap. They're opinion checkers, not fact-checkers. But uh, this one semi-confirms the idea that that rather interesting meme that Serena posted earlier today ain't so far from the truth. So, most interesting. Most interesting. And I thought I would... Uh, I would share that with you tonight. Uh, you can find the link to all these articles and the posts in our show notes. I've been updating the show notes in a new way for the last few shows. So you'll see what the show's about. You'll see ways to get in touch with me and support me and ways to listen to the podcast. But also, you'll see some clickable links in our description, which is the links to the articles we use in our show, because we always like to give credit where credit's due. So, um, yeah, there you go. All right, what did I miss in the chat? Donald says, I would call places like the VD hotline and connect them to you. And by the way, I always, oh yeah, you always wanted to buy old 78 RPM records. That's right. I would also guess that a lot of people probably don't remember or know what a 78 RPM record is because uh, it's, it's been about a thousand years. Um, Serena, fact, opinions are like buttholes. We all have one and some stink. Yes, exactly. Exactly right. <laughs> is this, for, oh no, this is not from you. This is from my friend Alvin. Again, it's a public post, so I'm not, uh, I'm not sharing anything that's not supposed to be public. Um, I don't normally do that. If I do it, I would cut out any sort of identifying uh, <clears throat> markers on it. But I thought this was rather interesting and only mildly connected to my first story of the night. And that is this. Pleasant people made the best Nazis. <laughs> We're going from the sublime to the ridiculous, folks. But it's actually quite true. Pleasant people, in other words, the nice people, always made the best Nazis. They were good-natured, dutiful, and never made trouble. They looked the other way when things get controversial. They focus on happier things rather than ugly politics. They were respectable folks that turned their heads as their neighbors were dragged away. You know who weren't the pleasant people? The resistors. Pleasant is overrated. 
resist. Yes. We love that. We love that. Pleasant people made the best Nazis. <laughs> All right. Let's get on to some good stuff, some good news, some positive thinking, because there's only so much downer type crap I can do in one show and 20 minutes of that is enough, I think, or so. Um, I saw this post today and wanted to share. Again, it's it's Al Alvin. Thank you, by the way, for all your posts. They're so inspiring. Truly, truly. I enjoy having you as a friend and uh, seeing the stuff you post because it's brilliant and really, really appreciate it. Um, this is one that um, relates to lockdowns, pandemics, all the problems that people in business have been going through. And um, I know it might be a little early, although not if you go to the retail stores. Everybody wants you to eat turkey wearing a Halloween costume, opening your Christmas presents, apparently. <coughs> so it says, Christmas shopping is going to be a little weird this year. So instead of boosting Amazon's profits or Lazada or Shopee. Ask friends and family for a voucher from a local business that might be struggling. Bookshops, restaurants, salons, cinemas, craft stores, art venues, whatever you're into. Not a bad idea. And you know what? Even if, I have done this before, even if the shop doesn't have official gift certificates, you'd be surprised. Ask them, work with them. Say, look, can you just give me a, a handwritten letter with a credit memo of some kind just to say that I've given you X amount of dollars and that way I can give this to the person and they can come in and spend that money on something they like. But the point is, the bigger point, is that you are helping the small business guy who has been busting his or her or their ass for the last year and a half, almost two years, struggling to survive, in some cases, sadly, not. But the ones that are still hanging on are often hanging on just by the skin of their teeth. And the best thing you can do is to stop dumping money in Amazon's pocket because Jeff doesn't need any more of your cash and dump it into the pockets of the local folks who run the local businesses, wherever you may be listening on the planet. Because those are the guys and gals who have felt the big crunch from this mess we've been in for far too long. And I cannot encourage you strong in strong enough terms to help support those, those people because they're doing everything they can to stay in business and the only way they're going to do that is with your help. Amazon doesn't need your money. They got plenty. Great, great idea for Christmas presents this year. I know it's a little bit early for that, but hey, it's not really too early to be thinking about it. All right. Next topic. After a sip of coffee. What color is your house? You know, I just happened to think. I had to actually stop and think. I look at my house every day, and I had to actually think what color is my house. It's gray. Yeah, I know. 
not a color I would have picked, but it, it was and it is what it is. So my house is gray. Um, a few, uh, hang on, before we get to that, Donald's got a thing in the chat here I wanted to mention. A few names popped up in my memory. Paul Pagano. Paul is amazing. I don't know if he's still around. Uh, I'm going to assume because he was significantly older than me. Uh, he may or may not be. Uh, Paul Pagano, Jeff Ziner, who worked with me as my newsman for many years. Uh, he and uh, Dan Lovallo. Uh, the old standard Edmund William Waller. Yes, indeed. Edmund William Waller was uh, one of the uh, owners of the station that I worked at for many, many, many years. And um, yeah, and, and Don asked the same thing. Is Paul Pagano still alive? I honestly don't know. Uh, I would think probably not, but I'd hate to say that and then have it not be true. So I don't know. Uh, Paul was, uh, was a voice of WSNG back when it was WTOR. And uh, that's the station I worked at for many, many, many years. And um, yeah, wow, Jeff, uh, Jeff Zeiner, or Jeff, uh, Jeff Daniels, Jeff Longhaven, uh, who has since passed away. Uh, Jeff gave me my very first job in radio. My my start in the business was thank you to uh, the late uh, Jeff Longhaven. I appreciate him very much. And uh, oh, you he is still alive. Great. I'm, I, that that's excellent. That's fantastic. He's got to be 150 years old. But uh, Paul Pagano, if you're out there, a tip of the hat. Fantastic. All right, let's get back to this. The Lilac House in Waterford, uh, Watford, actually. This is a story from the BBC. These are the kind of things that just toast my bananas. I'm telling you, these councils, these like it's like a zoning thing, but it's like a community organization where they tell you what you can and you can't do and you can't fly a flag on your property and if it is it has to be this and only on certain dates it's just it's insane the, 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 let me just share this with you and, and you'll see what I'm talking about a lilac house in Watford conservation area has been rejected by the council Look at that. That's actually a beautiful color. I don't know if the color is coming through quite clear. It almost looks a bit gray on my monitor, but it is lilac, but it's a pale lilac color. A man living in a conservation area painted his house lilac, and now apparently he's going to have to redecorate it. There'll be a link to this in my show notes if you want to read the whole article. It's from the uh, the BBC.com. Ian Davis lives in Oxhay in Herefordshire. Uh, he painted his property in August of 2020 and was told in June he should have sought planning permission. His retrospective application was rejected, which said that the house had a harmful impact on the character of the house built in 1902. Look at that. Look look at the house. Look at the, if you're listening on the podcast, go to my Rumble account, rumble.com slash jsheldon. Uh, I don't even care about the clicks or the, the subscriptions over there. Just go up to about 25 minutes or so. You'll see a picture of the house. Anyway, these idiots on this board say the color's inappropriate for the period of time when the house was built. And uh, they have this guide to restrictions on properties 
he lived in the house on Capel Road for 20 years, never crossed his mind because you're in a conservation area. You'd have to get permission to paint your own house. There's the house compared to the ones next to it. I mean, it stands out, but not in an ugly way. He told the council that the color had a har oh, the council told him the color had a harmful impact on the character and appearance of the property and the area. Well, you know what? Shut up and sit down. Anyway, he's lived in the house since uh, for 20 years, and uh, this apparently was what the house looked like before he painted it lilac. And now, sadly, because of these idiots and this ridiculous council decided that it's not keeping in character with the neighborhood. It's quite a respectable color, actually. So these morons are going to make him repaint his house. I know, small matter, but honestly, it's little stories like this where the overreach of some moronic councils really just burns my buttons. Uh, check it out. There'll be a link to the story, full story. You can read it from the BBC in, in the uh, show notes tonight. All right. Here's another fantastic inspirational thing. And uh, man, once again, Alvin, you get the award tonight. Uh, congratulations. You have the most articles shared on I'm not wearing pants. I think it's a record. <laughs> All right. This is another one from Alvin. Thank you, Alvin. Note to self, a little bit of inspiration for you here. What is my purpose in life? I asked the void. What if I told you that you had fulfilled it when you took an extra hour to talk to that kid about his life, said the voice? Or when you paid for that young couple in the restaurant? Or when you saved that dog in traffic? when you tied your father's shoes for him. Your problem is that you equate your perfect, your, your purpose with goal-based achievements. The universe isn't interested in your achievements, just your heart. When you choose to act out of kindness, compassion, and love, you are already aligned with your true purpose. No need to look any further. What a brilliant way of thinking about it. When you think your life has no purpose, what is my purpose? Why am I here? You think about it. It's those little acts of kindness, those random acts of kindness that you do that are your purpose. The universe isn't interested in your achievements. It's what's in your heart. I love that. I had to share it tonight because it's, uh, it's brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. All right, we got one more thing for you, and then we're uh, going to move on into our book, The War of the Worlds. We'll be doing uh, another chapter or half a chapter tonight, actually. But I found this and I had to share it. Now there is audio involved. I'm going to play the audio, but it's gonna do weird things to my voice. It's probably gonna double up my voice. So just bear with me. This is music art. <laughs> I don't know the, another way 
to describe what this is, but it's music art. You have got to check this out. If you're listening to the podcast, again, please go to my Rumble account, rumble.com slash jsheldon. Watch the video of this. What some composer, brilliant composer, has done, this is actual sheet music. But if you see, inside the sheet music is a cat. And there's more than one of these. So I'm doing a lot of talking now because when I play this, I don't want to talk because my voice does weird things because of the way the audio is set up here. But now check this out. You must, must, must hear this. Check it out. How cool is that? Here's a dog. They'll pull back and you'll be able to see the picture again in a minute. There you go. There's a rabbit. Now listen to how this actually sounds like a rabbit a little bit. <laughs> how cool is that? Look, at here's another dog. This is by an, hang on, let me mute that. Okay, there we go. I think my voice will be back to normal now. This is actually by a composer named Oxman. And there's no contact information, but it says if you would like your pet to be immortalized in music, he's actually, or she, it doesn't denote what the pronoun is here. Uh, there, the composer's actually open for commissions. How cool is that? So uh, let me just play towards the end of this. Uh, I don't want to play any more of the music. I'm already probably going to get a copyright strike. Um, but he will actually take a portrait of your pet and turn it into one of these pieces of music. I'm going to assume it probably, uh, it's called Symponies. S-Y-M-P-A-W. You know, like a paw. Symponies. And... Uh, you could actually turn your own pet into a piece of music. I got to check this out because wouldn't that be cool to have Miko have her own symphony? <laughs> that would be cool. These things are brilliant. You got to check this out. Go to Classic FM. That is the Facebook page. And you can check out all of these incredible pieces of not only some brilliant music, but the, uh, the actual pictures that go with it. Let's go back one more time. There's, there's the kitty cat picture. 
which is a piece of music. And you can get your own pet commissioned. That's so cool. Ah, all right. Amazing. All right, enough of this gobbledygook. I will check that out. I'll see if I can find out if it's expensive or not, and I'll let you know on some stream down the road. But I think that would be a dang cool idea. <laughs> Very cool idea. All right, it's time, my friends. Uh, one last little plug before we move on into our book, and that's uh, to help support the show. If you would be so kind, you can go to patreon.com slash Sheldon and uh, find out more about ways, very inexpensive ways you can help to uh, support the broadcast. We do a live stream every Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday, and our live stream becomes an audio podcast across all the usual platforms. So uh, thank you for all the downloads, listens, subscribes, likes, shares. We really appreciate it. And at the end of every stream, for 122 of them almost now, we read classic books. We have done The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, The Little Prince, Peter Pan, Alice in Wonderland, The Velveteen Rabbit, and right now we've been doing H.G. Wells' The War of the Worlds, originally published back in, uh, in 1897. Wow. All right. Uh, we left off at chapter 15, was it, I think? Uh, yeah, chapter 15, we were halfway through. So let's get back to the War of the Worlds and continue on with the second half of chapter 15 from H.G. Wells' The War of the Worlds. I was so excited by these heavy minute guns following one another that I so far forgot my personal safety and my scalded hands as to clamber up onto the ledge and stare towards Sunbury. As I did so, a second report followed, and a big projectile hurled overhead towards Hounslow. I expected at least to see smoke or fire or some evidence of its work, but all I saw was the deep blue sky above with one solitary star and the white mist spreading wide and low beneath. There'd been no crash, no answering explosion. The silence was restored. The minute lengthened to three. What's happened? said the curate, standing up beside me. Heaven knows, I said. A bat flickered by and vanished. A distant tumult of shouting began and ceased. I looked again at the Martian and saw he was now moving eastward along the river bank with a swift, rolling motion. Every moment, I expected the fire of some hidden battery to spring upon him, but the evening calm was unbroken. The figure of the Martian grew smaller as he receded, and presently the mist and the gathering night had swallowed him up. By a common impulse, we clambered higher. Toward Sunbury was a dark appearance, as though a conical hill had suddenly come into being there, hiding our view of the further country, and, and then remoter across the river. Over Walton, we saw another such summit. These hill-like forms grew louder and broader, even as we stared. 
Moved by a sudden thought, I looked northward, and there I perceived a third of these cloudy black copes had risen. Everything suddenly became very still, far away to the southeast, making the quiet. We heard the Martians hooting to one another, and then the air quivered again with the distant thud of their guns. But the earthly artillery made no reply. Now at the time, we couldn't understand these things, but later I was to learn the meaning of these ominous copjes that gathered in the twilight. Each of the Martians, standing in the great crescent I've described, had discharged, by means of the gun-like tube he carried, a huge canister over whatever hill, corpse, cluster of houses, or other possible cover for guns chanced to be in front of him. Some fired only one of these, some two, as in the case of the one we had seen. The one at Ripley is said to have discharged no fewer than five at one time. These canisters smashed on striking the ground. They did not explode and incontinently disengaged an enormous volume of heavy, inky vapor, coiling and pouring upward in a huge and ebony cumulus cloud, a gaseous hill that sank and spread itself slowly over the surrounding country. And as the touch of that vapor, the inhaling of its pungent wisps, was death to all that breathe. It was heavy, this vapor, heavier than the densest smoke, so that after the first tumultuous uprush and outflow of its impact, it sank down through the air and poured over the ground in a manner rather liquid than gaseous. Abandoning the hills and streaming into the valleys and ditches and watercourses, even as I have heard the carbonic acid gas that pours from volcanic clefts is wont to do. And where it came upon water, some chemical action occurred, and the surface would be instantly covered with a powdery scum that sank slowly and made way for more. The scum was absolutely insoluble, and it's a strange thing seeing the instant effect of the gas that one could drink without hurting the water from which it had been strained. The vapor didn't diffuse as a true gas would. It hung together in banks, flowing sluggishly down the slope of the land and driving relentlessly before the wind. And very slowly it combined with the mist and the moisture of the air and sank to the earth in the form of dust. Save that an unknown element, element giving a group of four lines in the blue of the spectrum is concerned, we're still entirely ignorant of the nature of this substance. Once the tumultuous upheaval of its dispersion was over, the black smoke clung so close to the ground, even before its precipitation, that fifty feet up in the air, on the roofs and upper stories of high houses and great trees, there was a chance of escaping its poison altogether, as was proved even that night at Street Cobham and Ditton. 
The man who escaped at the former place tells a wonderful story of the strangeness of its coiling flow and how he looked down from the church spire and saw the houses of the village rising like ghosts out of its inky nothingness. For a day and a half he remained there, weary, starving, sun-scorched, the, the earth under the blue sky and against the prospect of the distant hills of velvet-black expanse with red roofs, green trees, and later black-veiled shrubs and gates, barns, outhouses, walls, rising here and there into the sunlight. But that was at Street Cobham, where the black vapor was allowed to remain until it sank of its own accord into the ground. Now, as a rule, Martians, when it had served its purpose, cleared the air of it again by wading into it and directing a jet of steam upon it. This they did with the vapor banks near us, as we saw in the starlight from the window of the deserted house at Upper Halliford, whither we had returned. From there we could see the searchlights on Richmond Hill and Kingston Hill going to and fro, and about eleven the windows rattled. We heard the sound of the huge siege guns that had been put in position there. These continuously, intermittently, for the space of quarter of an hour, sending chance shots at the invisible Martians at Hampton and Ditton, and then the pale beams of the electric light vanished and were replaced by a bright red glow. Then the fourth cylinder fell, a brilliant green meteor, as I learned afterwards in Bushy Park, before the guns on Richmond and Kingston line of hills began, there was a fitful cannonade far away in the southwest, due, I believe, to guns being fired haphazard before the black vapor could overwhelm the gunners. So, setting about it as methodically as men might smoke out a wasp's nest, the Martians spread this strange stifling vapor over the Londonward County. The horns of the crescent slowly moved apart until at last they formed a line from Hanwell to Combe and Malden. All night, through their destructive tubes advanced, never once after the Martian at St. George's Hill was brought down did they give the artillery the ghost of a chance against them. Whenever there was a possibility of guns being laid for them unseen, a fresh canister of the black vapor was discharged, and where the guns were openly displayed, the heat ray was brought to bear. By midnight, the blazing trees along the slopes of Richmond Park and the glare of Kingston Hill threw their light upon the network of black smoke, blotting out the whole valley of the Thames and extending as far as the eye could reach. And through this, two Martians slowly waited and turned their hissing jet streams this way and that. They were sparing of the heat ray that night, either because they built up but a limited supply of material for its production, or because they didn't wish to destroy the country, but only to crush and overawe the opposition they had aroused. In the latter aim, they'd certainly succeeded. Sunday night was the end of the organized opposition to their movements. After that, 
No body of men would stand against them. So hopeless was the enterprise, even the crews of the torpedo boats and destroyers that had brought their quick firers up the Thames refused to stop, mutinied, and went down again. The only offensive operation men ventured upon after that night was the pre uh, preparation of mines and pitfalls, and even in that their energies were frantic and spasmodic. One has to imagine, as well as one may, the fate of those batteries towards Escher, waiting so tensely in the twilight. Survivors, there were none. One can picture the orderly expectation, the officers alert and watchful, the gunners ready, the ammunition piled to hand, the limber gunners with their horses and wagons, the troops of civilian spectators standing as near as they were permitted, the evening stillness, the ambulances, hospital tents with the burned and wounded from Weybridge, then the dull resonance of the shots, the Martians fired, and the clumsy projectile whirling over the trees and houses and smashing amidst the laboring fields. One may picture, too, the sudden shifting of the attention, the swiftly spreading coils and bellyings of the blackness advancing headlong, towering heavenward, turning the twilight to a palpable darkness, the strange and horrible antagonist of vapor striding upon its victims. Men and horses near it seem dimly, running, shrieking, falling headlong, shouts of dismay, the guns suddenly abandoned, men choking, writhing on the ground and the swift broadening out of the opaque cone of smoke, and then night and extinction, nothing but a silent mass of impenetrable vapor hiding its dead. Before dawn, the black vapor was pouring through the streets of Richmond, and the disintegrating organism of government was, at a last expiring effort, rousing the population of London to the necessity of flight. It's just getting weirder and weirder. <laughs> That's the end of chapter 15. Wow. So we will continue on with the chapter called The Exodus from London. The War of the Worlds by H. G. Wells. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us. Thanks so much for uh, joining our live stream, Facebook, YouTube, Twitch.tv. And uh, thanks to all of our podcast listeners also across all your favorite podcast platforms. Please download, like, subscribe, share the stream. And one last ask, if I might, uh, to head to patreon.com slash Sheldon, where you can help to uh, support the stream if you are so inclined. The BBC did a great version after years ago, indeed. And of course, if you ever get a chance, listen to the uh, Orson Welles radio play of The War of the Worlds. Nothing like the book, well, considering, but a brilliant listen if you like old radio drama. Or Orson Welles, the uh, War of the Worlds. All right, guys, that's going to do it. Thank you so much for joining. I will see you on Wednesday night, 10 o'clock Malaysian time. Until then, 
I'm Jay Sheldon, and I'm not wearing pants. Good night, everybody. Yeah.